Hockey Central at noon on Sportsnet 960. The Fan. Back at it on your lunch hour right here on Sportsnet 960. The Fan. I'm Kelly Kirsch. We got a busy show today. Coming up at 1230, Brian Burke has written a book with Stephen Brunt, and it's a good one. He doesn't pull any punches. We'll talk to Brian coming up about 1230, find out uh, what's happening in the world of hockey. And it's like a double dose. He was like on the uh, Over the Rocky show just prior to this, but let's get him again. Let's talk to Lou. Flames insider Peter Lubardius brought to you by the Gemini Group. Imagine your life, your style, your home renovation should be a reflection of you. Give your home the Gemini difference. Visit GeminiGroup.ca. Lou, you're not you're not all talked out, are you? You, you got enough for us, hey? How long have you known me? <laughs> exactly. Have, have I ever been all talked out ever? Never. I need to le- I need to learn how to be a little more well, all talked out. I, I thought uh, I thought things were going well until Scotty had to had to get that Minnesota Viking thing going again. It's like you know. Well, that never happens on my head. <laughs> never. Never. I have no, I have no idea how to deal with that because that never comes up. Okay, it would have been two hours later, but uh, how did you feel when old uh, Ballinger let that one rip? Did that feel okay? It felt, uh, it felt awesome. Um, yeah. And I will say this to you, I have not been a Cody Bellinger fan. If I, if I had to have picked, he might have been my last choice in their lineup as to the person who was going to deliver the big blow, yeah. you know, he, he's been a regular season guy. I think even going into that at bat, he batted a buck 67 in the playoffs, lots of strikeouts. Um, but yeah, it, uh, I, I let out a couple of screams. I bet you Fortunately, did. the other people in the house, I've adopted the basement now, Kelly, yeah. for my, Vikings watching just because I became superstitious again. Game five, I started it. And now, you know, until they lose to Tampa, then I'm staying in the basement, which is where I belong in the house when sports that matter are on anyway. Well, it was an interesting at bat because, you know, Chris Martin sort of tempted faith, uh, fate with one. And then it's like, oh, he's going to give him another one. And he tried to keep it down, but right at the old belt buckle and wham, off it went. And it was, it was a no doubter. Oh, was it ever. And the interesting thing, if you've spent any time watching the Dodgers and watching Bellinger, um, generally the way people have gotten him out, because he's got such a long, loopy swing, is your ability to be up and in. But, you know, whether it was Travis Darno and his placement, Martin didn't want to seem to come all the way in. So... When you're in your third game in a row and you've thrown a lot of pitches, that that mm-hmm. had to be up. And when it wasn't up, it was out. Yeah. And that's how that works. And uh, Tuesday, tomorrow, we'll start at 6 o'clock. We'll have uh, every game of the nice. World Series. We had a ton of baseball on this weekend, Lou, just because of the way things worked out. Not normally can we do that, but I we had about 10 hours worth on uh, on Saturday, it started at two well, o'clock. We like, and, we like live sports on yeah, the station. It was okay. It was okay. So much to talk to you about. So I thought I'm going to go kind of in reverse order. I wanted you sure. to uh, talk about uh, when I turned on my news feed and was flipping around and I get stuff from New York all the time. And the legend, Doc Emmerich, has decided to uh, call it a career. And what a career it's been. Over 50 years in the business, he has been such a professional, such a nice man. And one of those guys that really helped 
get our game to more Americans. He really helped that part out. I think I hope people remember that part of him. You know what? I hope they do too, Kelly. And, you know, I just tweeted out a little way ago about Mike Doc Emmerich. And, um, you know, I first met him covering a playoff series between Toronto and New Jersey back in the early 2000s. And I actually think a lot about Peter Marr and Doc Emmerich. And um, how I feel about both of them is it was really never about them. It was about the craft. It was about the consistency of the craft. And also, equally as important, the consistency in how Doc Emmerich and Peter Marr treated other people. You know, incredibly consistent. You wouldn't find anyone who would have a bad word to say. It didn't really matter, you know, if you were somebody at the top of the rung at the rink or just, you know, a first year, second year type reporter. Was always cordial, always respectful, and, you know, loved what he did. And he loved the game and did it with a language and a style that became his own. And it's funny, I was listening to Hockey Central today, you know, the Toronto version and Joe Bowen, the longtime radio broadcaster and voice of the Leafs. Um, you know, he talked about the importance of, you know, being yourself and, and your style. And can you distinguish yourself to be different than others and then the other thing kelly i think a lot of times is the stage that you have the opportunity to work on because you've been in this business your whole life i've been in this business you know my whole life at every single different level and familiarity and people getting to know who you are what you're about what they can expect the consistency of that performance and the other thing about um, Doc Emmerich that I always admired and, and I don't necessarily think this is a quality even for some of the best people in play-by-play and, and I always say it this way who are the guys that can make you feel the game you know that, yeah, exactly. that, that's the one you know where when the game elevates and it hits high points can you hit them? And, and that's, you know, again, the other thing about if you've ever done play-by-play at any type of level, you, you have to understand that how you go about your business isn't necessarily going to be for everyone. And in fact, as time goes along, Kelly, I, I think in our business sometimes, you know, because there's so many avenues for people to be criticized, I think sometimes it's, I just, I believe you can't be great if you're not different. And if you don't kind of distinguish yourself from everyone else, I just think in the polarizing world we live in, it's sometimes I think harder for people to establish themselves because generally being different means you're not going to win everybody over. Yeah, exactly. And then if you, uh, you get too many people on the other side, it kind of sways things sometimes, and people like to just fire away on 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 social media. But 
you know, Doc Emmerich was a guy that did it the right way for a long time and, oh. and paid his dues in the minors and worked really hard. And he was such an advocate for the hockey hockey world. Uh, it's it's going to be sad not to not to hear him it on is. on NBC anymore. But you know, at seventy four and fifty years in the business, I think he's he earns his time to kind of hang out with his wife and his dogs, as I read <laughs> earlier today. So I think that's. That's going now. A guy that's uh, been around almost as long as Doc Emmerich, Joe Thornton, finds a new job. Um, that came down on Friday. What did you think? Uh, you're in Toronto, so yeah, a little bit of a buzz going on for for uh, Jumbo Joe. Is he's going to be a Leaf? He is going to be a Leaf, and it was something that uh, Joe contemplated even back in 2017 when he decided that he was going to stay you know, with the San Jose Sharks, who will uh, quickly raise his number to the rafters the first opportunity that they get, and deservedly so. Um, Kelly, this one is is interesting because in this marketplace, and I've listened to a number of shows in the last two or three days just because I'm always interested to see how it's going to go over. And, you know, as you could expect, the same way we are in Calgary when something happens with the Flames, you know, most of the time, you know, we're pretty positive, I would think. And for me, it, it's, it's, it, this one's interesting because I think in many ways, this is Kyle Dubas saying that his young stars aren't ready. They're not ready to completely do it all and carry the mail. They need some help. And what, Kyle Dubas is hoping for when you bring in a Joe Thornton and remember they already have Jason Spezza in that type of a role. Um, You know, John Tavares is certainly the leader of the team and the captain and is into his thirties now, but they obviously feel like, you know, the dynamic of their leadership group isn't getting it done because why else would you make this move? You know, Joe's 41 years old. Um, He's not going to play the same amount of minutes. He is going to be someone as one of the greatest passers I've ever watched in the sport who you can probably for sure get some mileage out of on your second power play. But the one thing that I've always felt observed and had hockey people, you know, I, I remember having a great conversation years ago with Peter DeBoer when he was in San Jose about, you know, Peter just said, you can't understand how much this guy loves this sport. You know, you just, you have to be around it. So I truly believe with the Leafs, while we live in a day and age, and I don't know how this one's going to play out, and I'm not even sure, Kelly, how it, it should play out. But what I know is you've identified that your younger guys and your young leadership needs help. I wonder... I was thinking about that too, but I also thought with that media circus in Toronto, with these guys, and you could put Wayne Simmons in there too. He's a little, obviously younger than than those guys, but with Spezza and Thornton, they are really good with the media and taking some of that heat away from the young guys. Maybe, do you think in, in some way that might be it? You know, we're going to show you how to be leaders, but we're also going to take a little heat off you guys. Because the young guys, I think, you know, because the media can be ferocious there. I just wondering if maybe that was just one of those one of those extra things getting these veterans in were due for the Maple Leafs. See, you know what, Kelly? And and I love that you went there. Um, and here's I, I don't think 
I, I think it's more about how they go about their craft in the room, their dedication, their love affair with the sport. Uh, I think I think that's it as much as anything, because because in his own way, um, you know, Joe Thornton hasn't always been the first guy in line to want to be interviewed. Like, that's not a criticism, but I don't think of Joe necessarily. I think of Joe as an incredible player, talent, someone who loves the game beyond belief. I don't necessarily think of Joe in that vein. Now, can he handle it as well as anybody when he has to? Absolutely. But I, Kelly, I do. I think, I think this one is really about trying to marry two generations because yeah. I think the generations are different. I really do. Yeah. And I, I see it every single day because how I feel is until you've done it, you haven't done it. And despite the fact that you might be the most talented people in the game, that doesn't mean you know how to yeah. win. Yeah. This, if you want to play in May, for instance, on a yes. normal, regular, you know, type of setup, this is how you do it. And I think those guys would be great. Uh, it is Hockey Central at noon right here for your Monday, Kelly Kirsch and Logan Gordon. Is there not some similarity that you can look at to uh, a Joe Thornton here here in Calgary, Lou? I don't know if if Milan Lucic fits that role. I think he does it in, in some aspects, but is there anybody that, that strikes you as maybe that would have that sort of same opportunity to do that here as to what Thornton would do in Toronto? No, Logan, I think that's exactly what Milan Lucic did for the Calgary Flames this season. I don't think there's any question about it. And and that was the hope. Um, you know, when they made the trade for James Neal, Brad Treleving was not looking for a player that would potentially match James goal for goal. He wanted an all-in hockey guy. He wanted a player that he knew wanted to win and was prepared to do whatever it takes and also identifying the fact that, you know, that's what we never know, Logan, sometimes, is where's the buy-in going to come from? Because what can happen with really, really talented young people, regardless of the industry, is that they can look at older veteran people and go, hey, listen, you're not at the top of your game anymore. I'm every bit as good as you. I work every bit as hard as you. I think, I, I quote, I think I have as much knowledge as you. So then it's harder to get the buy-in. But look what happened. You know, listen, Milan Lucic came in. We saw what he did in the playoffs, played his best hockey. But isn't it about the mentorship with someone like a Dylan Dubé? Don't tell me that doesn't have value. You know, there, there was a reason. Now, granted, they have a great history, and, and Jeff is the first guy, as in Ward, to compliment Milan Lucic, but it doesn't come for no reason. It's because he knows, and he's seen it over and over and over again. And I remember a direct quote, Logan, from Jeff Ward going into these playoffs that he said something to paraphrase, don't be surprised if this guy doesn't have a big impact again. Well, what happened? No, oh, he had a big impact. He had a big impact again. And he dragged his line mates with him 
into the battle. And I think Sam Bennett was better for it. And I'm not so sure that going forward, that isn't going to be the kind of situation, even though for Sam, it's been, you know, playoff Sam and regular season Sam. And we'll, you know, continue when we get back to playing the next season to see, you know, if that's a get over moment. But in the case of even, you know, the mentorship with Dubay, I remember vividly being in Vegas this year um, with Milan having his arm around Andrew Mangiapane and them having a chat. I mean, this guy cares. You know, in this day and age, I don't know if it happens as much. But Milan Lucic, who self-admittedly will tell you, and in fact, you know, again, give credit to Dylan Dubé and some of the young guys and Jeff Ward because they helped him believe again. So it was a great two-way street. But but trust me, I, I think guys who come into your team where it's not just about them and their numbers and their agenda, which I think is in many ways, the world that we live in today. Everything's about numbers and getting paid and self-branding in so many ways. Milan Lucic cares about winning. And, you know, again, I'm biased. I've seen him since he was 17 years of age as a Vancouver Giant. I know that matters incredibly to him. And I've also witnessed his leadership for a long time. It's not just about him. He cares about other people and helping them get better. And, and I think sometimes we don't see enough value in the people that can lead us that way. It's not just about goals and assists and points when you're trying to build something, a business, a relationship, anything that wins. It's got to be about teamwork. Well, and it, it's interesting because the the guy you mentioned in our, our notes before the show was, was a, a perfect example of that in, in Corey Perry and, and Dallas. And that's a route that Dallas specifically took this off season. I think or last off season, I should say to, to, you know, seek out those type of players. Did Corey Perry have a, you know, a, a heart trophy worthy regular season? No, he, he wasn't the player that he used to be, but come playoffs, him and Joe Pavelski, you know, earned every bit of their contract with that team, if not more. And, you know, there's a team that specifically went out and, and spent money and looked for those kind of guys and, and look at the kind of result it gave them. I think that Dallas doesn't come anywhere near having the season they have if they don't go out and get those two guys. Logan, it's a, it's an incredible point and I'm with you 100%. And it's one of the reasons on this program. And as long as I have an avenue to do it, I think what can be really hard to differentiate is who you win with. And, you know, you don't always win with the players with the best stats. That's why I use that line, you win with the right best players, not necessarily the best players or who are conceived to be the best players, because there is great value in those types of people. And listen, Corey Perry has driven me as nuts as anyone, especially in his time in Anaheim. But did he did he come out and perform at his best when it mattered the most? Yes. He did. You, you know what he's always done? That. Mm. Yeah. 
you know what Joe Pavelski has always done? That. Mm-hmm. When it happens time after time after time, it's not a coincidence. So again, it's, it's the hardest job in the world trying to build teams, build the right culture, have the right players. Um, how you do it, how well, you fill your lineup. Okay, well, let's, let's dig into that a little bit because we had uh, Eric Francis on with uh, Ryan in the 9 o'clock like we always do, and he talked about the Flames chemistry and the locker room and you know and he's covered the team a long time and we heard quite a bit about these guys like each other where does that come in where it's good that you like each other even better if you win together when it comes to chemistry and trying to set that balance where do you think the like where do you come out with that is winning does winning fix everything or do you have to be really conscious of who you bring into that locker room and who you take out. I think you have to be really conscious of both, but like anything else, when you determine how you want to change things in your, in your world or in any kind of relationship, Kelly, doesn't it come down to who you empower? Yeah. Because you are the leaders. Yeah. Right. So like you can bring great people in, who have, you know, done great things in other places. But if they're not received or they're not the right type of fit for, you know, the people in your room who have generally been carrying the mail, a lot of times I find it doesn't work, which is in many cases, and, you know, you look around the league at some of the more successful teams and they have their ups and downs and all I have to do is go back to, you know, Detroit, where, you know, there was Steve Eiserman. He came in, um, you know, was an incredible talent. But it took Steve a while to change his game to the point where, you know, it was everything wasn't about trying to, you know, be perceived as the best player or the highest scoring player. It was about winning and and how those guys mix. Um is really important. Kelly, I think the most important thing in leadership, and it's not easy, and I think when you're trying to bring different generations together, it's even more difficult in terms of getting the buy-in. But but I don't think big love-ins sometimes are the way to go. Like, you can really, really like your teammates and get along really well. doesn't always mean that you're going to do your best work. Because I think to get to better places, you have to ask hard questions of one another in terms of growth. And, and that's yeah. not just for me. You know, that's, listen, go back to, uh, I'll, ref, I'll go to this place forever. When Jeff Ward sat down in our room early in the season and talked about, you know, it's, it's great you have good team chemistry and everybody likes one another. And yeah, do I think that's really important? Of course. We all want to go to work with people that we really like and want to spend time with. I I feel as strong about that today as I ever have with all my experience seeing, you know, the best of both of those worlds in many ways. But I also know that to get to a better place, you have to be demanding and you have to ask more of one another. The key is, I think, can your leaders do it? 
And can they communicate effectively to get more out of others? That's the challenge. That's not for everybody. No. And the thing is, like, if you have chemistry and everybody likes each other, but you don't ask the hard questions and you don't, like, go to the the wall for everybody, the team across that you're playing are going to have guys that do that. So that's yeah. that's the thing. You just it's sort of a necessary sort of thing. But I just always think it's interesting to hear about team chemistry, especially in hockey. It is the one sport. It is truly the team sport. Baseball is, you know, let's face it, pretty individual pitcher against it batter. Is. You know, it football's is. offense, defense, and special teams. So they're they're not all together. But in hockey, your offensive guys play defense, and your defensive guys have to play offense, and you're all in it together. And they, the chemistry is huge, so I, I wanted to get into that conversation a little bit. Running out of time a little bit, but you're back tomorrow. Lots to talk about again. Enjoy your Monday, and uh, you'll be just fired up for Game 1 of the World I'm, Series. I'm going to sleep well tonight. Yeah. Oh, you're going to have to. I know to. I'm not going to for the next week, <laughs> yeah, so exactly. I'm going to try and get a good one in tonight. All right, Lou. Okay, have a good one, everybody. Flames insider Peter Lubardius brought to you by the Gemini Group. Imagine your life, your style, your home renovation should be a reflection of you. Give your home the Gemini difference. Visit GeminiGroup.ca. Yeah, we'll have every game of the World Series this year. Something that normally we can't do. We'll always run into a to a conflict with the Flames or something. Not this year, obviously. So, uh, And it looks very interesting. Lots of uh, interesting sort of sidelines there with the GM of the uh, Dodgers spent some time in Tampa and, you know, mm-hmm. and, you know, one team spends a pile of money. The other one doesn't spend a whole bunch. It's going to be neat to see. It starts tomorrow. Game one and two go tomorrow and Wednesday, and then they take Thursday off and then Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So we'll have them all for you right here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. I'm Kelly Kirsch. He's Logan Gordon. we got Riley producing today. We are live from the iconic studio Powered by Iconic Electric and Controls. Innovation. It's Iconic. Contact them today at IconicEC.ca. We'll take a break. And boy, is there a good book. I usually uh, read two or three, you know, quote-unquote sports books right around this time as we get ready for the holidays. Some, you know, over the years, better than others. And I read one last week that I couldn't put down. It was so good. I I thought it was going to be good. It's really good. And I'm not saying it just because he works for us. Brian Burke's book um, pulls no punches. There's people that he does not like in the media business and the hockey world, and he tells it the way he says it. He has a completely different spin on the Steve Moore and Todd Bertuzzi incident and a bunch more as well. Amazing stories. We're going to talk to Brian next right here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Hockey Central at noon on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. The book is called Burke's Law, A Life in Hockey, and it's Brian Burke's book, and it is amazing. I'll tell you, I, I get to review a lot of these, uh, Berkey, over over this time of year when the hockey books and the sports books come out, and this, I, I had a high anticipation for it, and it exceeded it. It was one of those books that I was hoping would be uh, not necessarily tell-all, but one of those books that you would really kind of just tell some great stories, and that's exactly what you did in this book. It's amazing. Well, I appreciate that. It's uh, 
I enjoyed doing it. Stephen Runt was actually the guy that did the actual writing. I think he did a great job. And I think in 32 years on the team and league side and six years representing players and two years in the media, I think there's some stories to tell. Oh, it's amazing. It's just like you were there for so many things in, in hockey history. Now, I imagine you, you were pursued a lot to, to, to put this down on, on paper, your life. When, when was it feeling like it was the right time to do just that? Well, Stephen Brown approached me about doing a book right after we won the Cup in 2007. And I said, I have too much hockey left. I don't want to do a book right now. And it turns out I was right. Uh, but what happened was, uh, at the end of my last year in Calgary, the deal I made with the Flames was either either party, at the end of each year, would sit down and either party could walk away. And so in February of that year, which would be, I guess, 2018, uh, the late, great Ken King, um, yeah. Great guy. My boss came in and said, uh, we want uh, Tree to fly solo. And, and Don uh, Don Maloney had come in, and he provided a great deal of experience anyway. So um, I, he said, we're going to make a break at the end of the year. Well, that was in February. So I had three months, four months before we were eliminated in the playoffs. So I said, well, I've got to have some spare time here. I may as well start an outline. So I started an outline and then started filling in stories, and I paid a woman to type it for me. And Ended up being about 100 pages single-spaced, and that's what I gave to Stephen Brontek. So I wasn't sure what I was going to do next. I, I thought I might be out of work for a while. I might work for the league. I might go into broadcasting. But I was pretty certain I wasn't going back on the team side. I said, I, had, I don't want to move again. So then I started uh, doing that, and I gave it to Stephen, and he turned it into a book. I, I'll say, and it's one of those ones where – you just go from chapter to chapter, and the way it's laid out is just so amazing. I will invite everyone to get this book. There's a million different ways to do it. Get it on Amazon. Go to a bookstore. This is going to be the one that you want to read over the holidays. I, the two themes that I want to talk about first, Brian, are, are family and mentors. And you talk about both fairly extensively. When you talk about your family, and I've heard you say about this big Irish Catholic family you came from, and you're not kidding, but it really influenced you uh, right through your life. And I imagine even now when you talk about your mom and dad and, and how important going to school was and decisions you made, can you talk about about your family and, and your upbringing and, and why? I mean, it's important to everybody, but it really plays out in, in your career and your life. Well, before you scare anyone off on the book, Kelly, I, I did not spend a lot of time <laughs> of my early life because when I buy a biography of some famous person or politician or a historical figure and I got to listen to three chapters of the first grade I did this, I'm I'm bored to tears. The basic context I wanted to convey is that we're one of, I'm one of 10 kids. My one sister passed away. My parents are both gone now. So there's nine of us left. A very close Irish Catholic family. And my mom and dad, all I stressed was two things, education and charitable work. So, if, for example, in, in Chicago or in Boston, you can only donate blood when you're 18. But if your parents give their consent, you can donate when you're 16. Well, we were all marched down to the blood bank at 16. I've donated gallons of blood in my lifetime. That's what my parents did. We taught reading to inner-city kids. Um, we participated in food drives. And, and so that charitable side came through loud and clear and the stress on education. So every night after supper, well, every night at supper, one kid had to bring a vocabulary word to the table that no one knew. Mm-hmm. 
spell it, define it, use it in a sentence. And then after dinner, we did it. We all did our chores. And then we assembled in the living room and we read books for an hour. Not homework. These were library books. These had to be fiction or nonfiction works that we got from the library. We'd go to the library and get like 60 books. And then we'd read as a family. No phone calls, no TV. And then after that, you did your homework. So it was a real, real underpinning in education and in and chair, you know, philanthropic stuff. Yeah, it, it it sure was, and it it's interesting how that sort of you know came into your 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 three pillars when you run a hockey team because charity work and being in the community was always part of it. And you you didn't mince words because when you came here, when you were in Toronto, that wherever it was, uh, that that was part of the deal for the players, for the management. Everybody had to do their share. Well, I'll be honest, Kelly. So I worked for five teams, and then all five, I they did charitable work, but I really ramped it up to a new level. And mm-hmm. I did not do that in Calgary because that's part of the Calgary Flames DNA. They already had that. Going back to the original owners, the Siemens, um, they had that in their DNA. So it's a one-stop I made where it wasn't a big effort to get that the buy-in from the players and the, and the staff. Well, I want to ask you about that since we're on that theme. Towards the end of the book, you talk about your time in Calgary, and it's it's fascinating. Um, and you said that Calgary was your favorite stop, which maybe surprised me a little bit. Can you kind of tell our Calgary audience why Calgary was your favorite stop on your on your on your hockey journey? Well, and I I made the same claim uh, yesterday on a Toronto show that, that Calgary was my favorite stop, and I made the same claim I think today on a a Halifax uh, radio interview Uh, to me when I, when I moved there and I'd spent time in Calgary, obviously I worked in Vancouver all those years, two tours of duty. Uh, We rented a house in Calgary for the 88 Olympics. I was there for two weeks and I'd always been impressed with how gracious the people were, how friendly they were. But what I didn't know and what blew me away. So I love the physical beauty of the city, the cleanliness, the people are friendly, you know, it's like stampede, a big wave, and everyone's so nice. But what shocked me when I first moved there was, I remember the very first event I went to, they had something the first night I was there, and I remember people were walking up to me saying, welcome to Calgary, welcome to Calgary. And I'd say, what are you doing? Guy would say, well, I work for Husky, and I'm on the board of Big Brothers Big Sisters. Mm-hmm. And then I meet a woman. What do you do? Well, I work for Grant Thornton. I'm an accountant, and I'm on the board of the Mustard Seed. Like, everyone participated in some charitable activity. It was kind of expected. And not writing checks. This is donating time and being involved in the activity. So that struck me, the, the altruistic spirit, the will, willingness of Calgarians to help other people is legendary to me. We're chatting with Brian Burke. Uh, the book is called Burke's Law, A Life in Hockey. It's a must-read for the holiday season. I want to talk about um, your college days when you, you went to Providence. And, and Burke, when I, when I talk to guys who, who've won Stanley Cups and played in the NHL, the one thing that always comes out when I start asking them about their time in the NCAA, they just light up, and it's just one of those experiences that I it seems to me, unless you do it, you can't really explain it. But to the best of your ability, can you explain why it was so special and, and such a important part of your life going to Providence and playing hockey? Well, I think when you go away to play hockey, whether you're a junior kid who goes away a little younger and lives with a billet family, I think there's a special step that that kid takes at a younger age, 16, 17, moving away. I was homesick when I moved away at 18. 
um, and I, I think the junior kids get the same experience, totally different experience, but the same kind of bonding and maturation and growth that, that college kids get. But the difference being you know, a long way from, from Minnesota to Providence, uh, it's a Catholic school, so there's a religious requirement. We went to Mass all the time in my dorm. And so, um, but the first day you get to campus, you've got 23 friends because you're on the hockey team. So you're not, you don't have that loneliness and awkward time making friends and getting a peer group. You have one, you hit the ground running. And then Lou Lamarello was just su- such a great coach and a great mentor. He turned me, I was this green kid from Minnesota. And when I went there as an 18 year old, when I graduated, I was a man. He taught me proper values, how to act made me a pretty decent hockey player too so I, I loved it I loved my four years in fact when people ask me where I went to school I never say Harvard I always say Providence because mm-hmm. you you went to Harvard Law School and and got your degree there and that was a different experience too and you were kind of torn about you know should I keep playing hockey or whatever and I I'm not going to spoil what's in the book but I, I thought that was the most fascinating sort of uh, part of your life is where you go and and the uh and the advice your your folks gave you, and 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 there you go, you, you end up going to Harvard. Uh, you you talk about Lou Lamarillo being one of your mentors. The other were uh, in in the book that you talked about were Gary Bettman and uh, the late Pat Quinn. Can you the obviously three different types of men, but very very important to your hockey career, uh, both as a player and then obviously into management. Yeah, with 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 Lou, I mean I was a walk on freshman and. A lot of Canadians don't know what that term means. It means you're recruited to play for an NCAA institution, but you get no money. So you walk on, you walk onto the campus and make the team. So they're called walk-ons. And I went there as a walk-on freshman, not expected to make the team, made the team. Lou put me on a half scholarship my second year and then a full ride my third and fourth year, which was critical in our family because my parents had four kids in U.S. University at one time and, and expensive schools too, Stanford, Wellesley, and Dartmouth. So Lou was, was great that way, but he also insisted on behaving a certain way. We had to have good manners. We had to dress properly. Uh, if you missed class, you got in trouble. Every player graduated the entire time. All the guys I played with graduated, every single one of them. And not many schools can say that. Uh, he's the guy who made me take the law boards and apply to law school. So he was great. And then Next, my next mentor was Pat Quinn, and then, like you said, then I went to the league in '93, and I got to work for Gary Bettman for five years. And I know in Canada, Gary's not popular. Although I suspect the way he put this last Stanley Cup together is going to be a lot more popular. Yeah. I think people really appreciate what he's done. But he's a wonderful man, brilliant man, and great to work for. And he was a guy that, when you went to that that office, the league office, it was one of those jobs where it was kind of new. And you kind of made it your own, and that really helped you, I, I think, networking and, and just kind of making that next step when when you did, you know, the Vancouver's and Anaheim's and Toronto's and Calgary's. Yeah, I, no question. It gave me credibility. I got to meet all the owners. A lot of GMs don't ever get to know any owners other than the ones they work for. Um, credibility, these owners that are thinking of hiring you have seen you stand in front of them and give a presentation. So it was a great job. Um and I think, to be fair, I think I gave Gary hockey credibility right out of the gate. I think they had a guy there that was totally unafraid to speak up on issues, represent the league strongly in public in terms of, you know, 
what what position we had to take. So I think I delivered value too, but uh, it was a, it wasn't a two way street. I got way more out of that relationship than Gary did. The book is called Burke's Law: A Life in Hockey. Brian Burke is our guest. I uh, wrote it with uh, Stephen Brunt, who also appears on this very radio station. And the the it's a bit of a history lesson because you go through some very significant times in hockey. And and for the younger listeners, there's a few things that maybe you don't remember. And the Pavel Burry story, it was was fascinating to reread that and get the insight about what it took to get him here. And people maybe forgot about that. Was that one of the one of the craziest times and and maybe one of the biggest risks that maybe you guys took when when it comes to getting him over to, to play in, in North America? Well, the risk we took the risk was a sixth round pick. So it wasn't that great a risk, but the work that went into getting him yeah. over. Now, Ron Salser, Ron Salser was the agent. He got him out of the Soviet Union. I have no idea how. He just showed up in L.A. one day. But um, getting him out of his the last year of his contract with Red Army was really critical. So I, I researched the law. We found the law was most favorable in Michigan. We sued the Russians. They replied. They answered the lawsuit, which they didn't have to and really probably shouldn't have. Um and then I went in and hired a law firm and actually had uh, lawyers representing us on both sides of the, of the, we thought if we lost the case, uh, we wanted to make sure we went back to Russia and couldn't sign with another team. So we had lawyers prepared to argue both ways in the courtroom and it was just nerve wracking. We're in court meeting, meeting with the lawyers, meet with the judge. She's trying to force us to settle it. Pat Quinn won't settle it. He's like, no, you can't spend any more money, which ended up saving us some a chunk of dough too. Uh, and at the end, the Russians asked for three hundred thousand. I'm stuck at two hundred, and Pavel Burry says, "Your Honor, I'll pay fifty thousand. I signed last night. I need to play." And the, the judge looked at me and said, "You okay with that?" And I said, "Yep." And she looked at the Russians and they said, "Yep." So that now we ended up paying it. Obviously, we're not going to let a player pay his own transfer fee. But true story, and it's the best work I ever did for the Canucks, getting him out of his contract. And he, he was something else when he when he played for Vancouver and and we saw it a lot in in Calgary when when he was on he was something and then and you know the the, the second part is that you, you had to trade him because he just you know Pav didn't really like the um uh I don't know the spotlight so much he just didn't like being bugged as much was that kind of the 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 crux of it where he just couldn't handle being in a hockey city well there's part of that like he had no privacy like he was a superstar. You know, he was like like uh, like Jerome in Calgary, or, or I think you have a little more privacy in Calgary, though. Um, there were photographers outside. It was like paparazzi chasing mm-hmm. him around. He couldn't go anywhere without uh, people bugging him, and it got to him. And then there's a, there's a crazy. It wasn't that prevalent back then. With social media now. Vancouver's a schizo market because it's eighty percent of the coverage is good, and they love their team and. But there's this weird wing on the side that just hates everything and just attacked him for this and that. There were ugly rumors about this and that. And uh, he just, when I, when I came back in 98, he said, I'm not playing for you. So that's why I had to trade him. Yeah. The, the uh, We talked about themes about this book. And the other one was your your healthy, uh, I don't know, disdain's the wrong word, but um now you're in the media, which is sort of ironic. But you've oh, you've had your uh, you had your battles with with the media in the past, Brian. Yes. <laughs> now, the, what people forget is that my relationship with the media over 35 years has been, by and large, terrific. 
I'm quotable. I give them time. Uh, if they ask for a one-on-one, they get it. A lot of GMs don't like doing those. Um, uh, every major move we make uh, after a trade or after a, a draft, I meet with the media, explain it to them. So the relationship's been cordial and professional for 30-plus years, except with a handful of people. And I, sim- I single them out in the book. I name them, and I say I think they're bad people. Even the There's a quote that will not go away that I called the media scumbags and maggots. <laughs> and what I what I said that day was, I was defending the media. I said, "Look, you got to understand how this works. The b- vast bulk of the media are professional, thorough, hardworking men and women. They want to get it right. They try to get it right, and they do a good job. And the media are essential to a pro team. Like you imagine, the Calgary Flames if, if they weren't covered by radio and TV and, and newspapers. Mm-hmm. So, but I, there's a handful that were really unprofessional." And, and I said, no, I'm not, not playing ball with them. I named them. Uh, and usually when I got in a scrap with the media, it was because of something they said about one of my players or my coach, not me. I don't really care what the media think of me. I never have. I never will. But I'm happy to jump into a fight when one of my players gets in trouble. It's, it's a fascinating read. The book, by the way, is called Burke's Law, A Life in Hockey. Brian Burke is our guest. Um, it's you know, I, I always like to read the book before I interview the person. I know most media guys don't. They, they'll just read the back or the synopsis of it, but I, I thought it was important. I read the whole thing, and I didn't want to spoil a bunch of stuff for the people, but I just I, I will say this, that it, it is a must-read. It's historical. It's open, and it's really, really fantastic. And then I, I started having these questions for you, and I thought, what is next for Berkey? You, you could kind of you know, you do the media as long as you want, um, you said that you were done when you were done, but you know, I don't know. Does a, does a leopard change his spots? Do you, do you want to get back and, and do deals again? What, where, where are you at? Well, my ex-wife believes and keeps telling me that, that, uh, we get along very well, by the way. Uh, her name is Jennifer Burke and she works for CTV news. She keeps telling me I got one more team left, one more rebuild. Okay. And I really, I don't feel like I do like, not health-wise or fatigue-wise, just I don't miss the travel. And that's the one thing. If you're a GM, the travel is never-ending, and the pressure is there. And I really like what I do. I, I like the people I work for. The people at Sportsnet and Hockey Night are great, really good bosses. I like the people I work with. You know, the people on Hockey Night, like Kelly Rudy, Cassie Campbell, Pascal, wonderful people. Uh, I like the work. I like talking about hockey, and I like doing my research. There's a lot of research that goes into this job. It's not just, you know, getting on the radio, as you know. Uh-huh. So, no, I, it would take something. I, I can't fathom that an opportunity would arise that would entice me to, to leave. Plus, I sleep in my own bed every night, which I've never been able to do that. So so that's that's where you're at. You know what? I, I appreciate you taking the time today. Fascinating book. I, I knew it would be, and uh, I recommend it highly. Thanks so much, Brian, and uh, best of luck. Thanks so much. Thanks very much, Kelly. There we go. Good stuff. Uh, that book is, is a good one. And Logan, uh, I think it's a must read for all of us here at Sportsnet 960, the fan over the, you know, between now and, you know, January when hockey comes back, because there are so many interesting stories in it. Uh, and you forget that he was part of just, just about everything, even as something is uh, when they were in Japan with the American Olympic team and mm-hmm. they, you know, allegedly trashed the, uh, the dorms or whatever. And he kind of, explains how that really worked. There's just 
countless stories, and I mentioned in the intro, his, his version of Bertuzzi more very, very different, I think, than yep. maybe what you were expecting, and a uh, whole bunch of different stories, and and uh, and some tough stuff in there, too. Uh, his son, Brendan, obviously was killed in a car crash, and, you know, that that's in there, and uh, I didn't mention that in the in the interview, but... That would have been a hard one to to uh, to write for him, but it's 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 good stuff. So there's a bunch of books that come out this time of year, and uh, if you're a hockey fan, it, it's a must for sure. Um, okay, and he was down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. Hmm. Uh, Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar now open for limited dine-in service with all safety precautions in place. Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar, the best pizza, pasta, steaks, and ribs. Since 1975, check them out at 6060 Memorial Drive in the Northeast. We'll, um, I guess we're just going to go right up to the big show. Look slap way to yeah. me. Yeah. What do you guys got planned for, for hour one? Oh, we'll have our Monday regular Ryan Pike from Flames Nation okay. joining us. We'll uh, get caught up on some draft stuff and uh, perhaps what's left for the Flames coming up in uh, this off season, however long it may or may not be. We'll... Uh, they don't have it, a lot of yeah. cash. No, so we'll talk to Ryan about room. maybe some options to opening some of that up for the Flames. We'll also take a look at the Monday night double header. One of them gets going in about three hours' time. It's a pretty big game. Chiefs and Bills at three o'clock, and then the later one, Cardinals, Cowboys. How do uh, Dallas is going to handle it without Dak Prescott going forward? And uh, talk a little World Series ahead of uh, Game One. We finally got it set. Dodgers Rays uh, the big payroll. Of L.A. looking to finally break out and, and win their World Series. And Tampa Bay looking to keep the underdog story going and uh, find a way to beat the mighty Dodgers. We'll do that and a whole bunch more. Big show set to get underway. We've got Will Nault coming in at 2 o'clock. So is Pat Steinberg. It's going to be busy right till we get to football right here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan.